All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, yeah, I wish I could see you, but I uh, cannot. Uh, I see a few of you every week. People stop by the church. It's really nice. And, um, but uh, hopefully we'll be back together soon. Uh, I do have a dry throat tonight. Not sure if I'm losing my voice or not. So uh, maybe we'll see close to the end of our time together. But anyway, I hope that everyone is doing well. I hope that all of your needs are being met. Uh, if they're not, uh, myself and many other people would like to hear about it. Uh, people about uh, every day are asking me uh, how they can help out with uh, various people's needs, but I'm just not uh, hearing about anyone who's in need other than just being lonely. Uh, so if you are struggling uh, for whatever reason, uh, please, please contact me and uh, that would be good. Uh, if you know of a, a small business uh, that is struggling, uh, I'd also like to know about that. Uh, I think it would be good to create a list uh, so that we can help contribute, especially if they're a part of our fellowship. And uh, I think whatever we can do for our community uh, is important. And I think, of course, as you probably already know, the needs are going to increase uh, over the next couple weeks and months. And uh, we just want to be sensitive to that. And uh, we want to be a blessing and a contributor. So there's that. And uh, other than that, I don't have much else to say. Uh, other than uh, we are fighting with the sun. We complain about not having it all winter. And now that we're recording things, we have all this glare. And, uh, but I'm not going to complain about the sun. Uh, glad to have it. Can't wait for more of it. And uh, so anyway, but uh, this, is, this is what we got. So, uh, and we are continuing through Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 21. It's verse by verse, uh, probably slower than I've ever done anything, uh, but uh, I think it's good. We're doing one verse a week, and um, yeah. Uh, also, uh, in regard to this, I look forward to hearing many of you recite uh, the whole section of Scripture uh, when we come back together, Asher, my six-year-old, just the other day, uh, he recited the whole thing in his cute little voice. Uh, but I think Malia, uh, my little girl, was actually the first one to have the whole thing memorized. And um, yeah, and with our memorization, uh, we just pray that God would grant us grace to um, put to practice the things that we learn from His Word. So to get started, uh, let me read the whole passage to you again. I'll be reading God's word to you from the English Standard Version, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. Paul says to them, to the Roman church, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. <clears throat> to the contrary, 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful. We're thankful for your word, for its instruction, for its illumination, we might say. And, uh, and Lord, we need it because we're broken. We need direction. And uh, we need to hear your voice. And so I pray, Lord, as we continue through uh, the text, that, Lord, verse by verse, concept by concept, uh, Lord, that you would teach us, you would instruct our hearts, and, Lord, that you would grant us the grace that we might live according to your word. And, uh, and Lord, I uh, just thank you, as always, for uh, my church family, the privilege that we have in the family of God. Lord, both here locally and abroad, we thank you for our missionaries. Pray that, Lord, we would keep our eyes on you and trust you through all of this that's going on. We pray specifically for our missionaries, Lord, that uh, you would just help them to trust you. Lord, that they would be hedged in by your grace. That you provide their needs, Lord, as well as for us. But, Lord, that through all of this, uh, that we would be used for your glory. So, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, please return with me to verse 14, where Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So I'd like to consider a few of the Greek words in the passage, uh, some of the Greek grammar uh, for clarity, for interpretation, and then we'll uh, do our best to apply the message to our lives. The word for bless that Paul uses here does not mean to do nice things for people. <clears throat> That's typically how we use the word, bless. Uh, we are blessed when someone does something kind for us, or we, we blessed someone by doing something kind for them. Uh, by this use of the word, we mean that a benefit has been conferred on us or bestowed on someone else. But that's not the typical use in the New Testament. Uh, the way that uh, we usually use it is only used about five or six times uh, in the whole New Testament. Whereas the word Paul uses means to speak well of someone, to speak well of someone, and it's used about 44 times. Uh, we get our English word eulogy from this Greek word, but we've reserved its use for when people die. It's not the only time we speak well of others, but it's the only time that we use the word. And whenever someone uses the word, we assume that someone has died. Uh, so we use the word properly, but in a context that is not too familiar with the New Testament. Paul is talking about speaking well of or saying good things about the living. And that would be fine if he wanted to speak well of those who treated us well. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is talking about speaking well of those who mistreat and abuse us in some fashion. He wants us to say good things about those who persecute us. Now understand, uh, persecution is a very generic term. It, it can refer to just about any kind of oppression, uh, abuse or mistreatment, hostility, especially when we're being mistreated for the faith. Historically, persecution has been in the context of you know, damages to our person, our property, our reputation, our finances, and typically by way of slander and lies, uh, harassment and physical violence. We actually observe this from Hebrews chapter 10 with all that that Jewish fellowship went through because of their faith. 
but it actually pales in comparison to the Roman persecution of the church just a few years later in 64 AD by Emperor Nero, and then of course what unraveled from that time until December of 311 AD from Emperor Diocletian. At various times and in various places throughout uh, that period, Christians were burned at the stake, uh, they were crucified, and they were fed to wild beasts. And throughout history, of course, at various times and in various places, and to this very day, Christians have suffered and are suffering for the faith. We don't know how bad the persecution was in Rome at the time Paul wrote this letter, but it doesn't seem to be extreme. But Paul felt that instruction was necessary. And if there was no real persecution at the time, Paul was certainly preparing them for it, just as he was preparing uh, every subsequent generation, preparing our generation. It's important to point out also that Paul is no longer describing to us what Christians behave like, as he was doing in verse 9 through 13. All the verbs used prior to now were descriptive of Christian behavior. Paul was telling us what Christian conduct looks like. But here in verse 14, all the verbs are prescriptive. Paul is giving us commandments in regard to how Christians must talk about their persecutors. I think that Paul probably knew better than to just tell us what Christian behavior looks like under these circumstances. So he becomes very direct in his directive. We are commanded as Christians to say good things about those who mistreat us, about those who abuse us. The verb tenses are also important here. Every verb in the verse is in the present tense. So we can actually translate the passage this way. Always speak well of those who always mistreat you. Always speak well of them and never ever curse them. It's interesting. After our morning devotions, I asked my children, when are we permitted as Christians to speak bad of someone? Never was their answer. Now, perhaps the question could be asked more pointedly this way. When are we permitted to slander the image of God? You'll you'll never find the New Testament instructing God's people to curse and slander people. James put it this way. He says, and perhaps you've noticed, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defies files the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. Out of the mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. James 3 verse 6 and then 9 through 10. So when are we permitted to slander or curse someone that's created in the image of God? Clearly the answer is no. The word curse is katareomai. It it even sounds ugly. It means to call down the curses of God on someone. This is off limits for those who profess Christ. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 5, 43 through 45. 
It's always necessary to clarify Jesus' statement when he says, you have heard that it was said. Many people think that Jesus was saying this. You have heard that it was said in the law of Moses, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I'm here to change all that to this. Love your enemies and so forth. As if Jesus was here to change the word of God. That's crazy with a capital C. When Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, He's not talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about rabbinical teaching. He's referring to how the rabbis have traditionally interpreted or explained the law of Moses. And if you recall, it was their interpretation of scripture that Jesus was always challenging and correcting throughout the gospels. You see, whenever Jesus was referring to the Old Testament scriptures for authority, he would never say, you have heard that it was said because there is no authority in what the rabbis said. When Jesus referred to the authoritative word of God, he would say, as it is written, or he would refer to what someone said that was written in the scriptures. If it wasn't written in the text of scripture, it had no authority because it wasn't God's word. In Matthew 5, Jesus was correcting a faulty understanding of the scriptures. He wasn't changing the word of God. In fact, Isaiah 42, verse 21, Isaiah predicted that when the Messiah came, he would exalt the law and he would make it honorable. Jesus was clarifying what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were confusing. So back to what Jesus said. He said, you shall love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you so that... You may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, the important thing is, he says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It's a way of saying, if you do what Jesus taught, you'll be like your Father in heaven, who makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So in order to be like our Father, we'll have to do good to the evil And to the unjust, we'll have to do good to those who curse us. We'll have to pray for those who hate us and spitefully use us and persecute us. That's what it is to be like our Father in heaven. And Jesus wasn't all talk and no action because when he was taken into custody and reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, 1 Peter 2.23. Jesus lived according to his teaching. He leading us, or or leaving us an example. Uh, Paul took this to heart as well when he explained his, his own way of life to the Corinthians, saying, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now, 1 Corinthians 4, 12 through 14. Uh, Peter showed the same consistency in his instruction when he said, do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, 1 Peter 3, 8. Now Sunday, we were instructed by the author of Hebrews to pursue peace with all people. And the initial step of actively pursuing peace with all would be speaking well of them, of saying good things about them. Now, before we get into some application, there's one more part of the grammar that is important. 
In verse 13, Paul said, seek to show hospitality. He was saying as Christians, we don't wait passively to show kindness to strangers, but we look for opportunities to do it. The same is true here in verse 14. Because we are required to pursue peace as much as is morally possible, we cannot remain passive when it comes to speaking well of those who abuse us. We should be looking for opportunity to say good things about them. Not just when speaking to them personally, but when speaking about them to others. I mean, we wouldn't want to speak well of them to their faces and then slander them to our, uh, to our friends. It's not as though Christ would be fooled by such a thing. And godliness certainly doesn't have two faces on it. Now, speaking of opportunities to say good things about our enemies, I don't think it'll be difficult to find one in the current political climate with how uh, divided we are as a nation. Instead of speaking ill of those on the opposite side of the aisle, do as Paul says here, remembering that they're created in the image of God. For example, you know, it's no secret that Nancy Pelosi is unpopular with evangelicals. But every evangelical that is serious about their obedience to Christ cannot be consistent with their convictions while slandering that woman. They can certainly disagree with her and discern good from evil about her and her policies, but slandering her is out of the question for anyone who professes Christ. Now, this could be said about anyone who irks you or has mistreated you or mistreated someone that you love. There's a context for every one of those people in the New Testament. And you've heard me say this before. Christians do not have the freedom of speech. We belong to a kingdom that has higher standards than America. Our speech and conduct are to be consistent with Jesus's. And he never slandered or reviled those who persecuted him. Now, I know this isn't easy. It's easily said, uh, but not easily done. Even the great apostle Paul had a weak and unguarded moment in front of the high priest. You remember the story, perhaps? The high priest ordered Paul to be struck on the face contrary to the law of Moses. And Paul did the exact opposite of what he's teaching here in Romans 12. He literally called a curse down from heaven on the high priest, saying, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall, Acts 23.3. For Paul, that was a weak unguarded moment, and it was contrary to his own teaching. But I'm afraid that for many of us who name the name of Christ, it's not a weak, unguarded moment. It's an ungodly habit. Even though our circumstances have not even come close to that of our brothers and sisters from the past and around the world whose lives are constantly on the line because of the faith. Yeah, I mean, you would think that if anyone had justification for cursing their persecutor, it was Daniel and his friends in Babylon. (coughs) But they never did. You know, their families and their friends were slaughtered under the command of Nebuchadnezzar. Their holy city and the temple destroyed. And those boys were emasculated and enslaved by Nebuchadnezzar. It would seem justifiable and reasonable for those boys to give that king a tongue lashing or at least wish a curse upon him. But as we read the narrative, we learn that Daniel, he actually loved Nebuchadnezzar. He prayed for him and pleaded with him to humble himself and to trust and obey the God of heaven. So it's possible then to refrain from cursing and being in the habit of blessing. Let me, let me put it to us this way, and I say us because I'm no stellar example in this whole context. 
If we can't speak well of those in power who, we disagree, who disagree with us, how will we speak well of them when they have the power to persecute us? And now is the testing ground for our Christian maturity, uh, the testing ground of our likeness to Christ. If we can't bless those people in times of relative peace, how will we do it in times of real conflict when they have the power to mistreat us and those that we love? If we slander them now and call curses down, it's an indication that we trust God far less than we should. It's not a testimony of our Christian integrity, but of our weakness. It demonstrates that we are not ready for real persecution. Speaking well of these people is far more difficult than most people think, especially for those that pay attention to politics. I know that my tongue can be very presumptuous. And if you don't think this is difficult, Try spending your next political conversation saying something good about Nancy Pelosi or our governor or anyone else that irks you or mistreats you, remembering that this should not be an experiment. This should be our habit as Christians. And I think what will make this even more challenging is how it makes our friends feel about us when we do speak kindly about mutually despised people. But who cares, right? We only care about Christ's opinion. Now, this could all be applied to anyone that mistreats us. It doesn't have to be people that we dislike in politics. You know, siblings in the home need to learn this lesson toward each other, for sure, and to their parents. I mean, you cannot honor your father and mother if you speak ill of them. Some married couples need to learn the meaning of being a verbal blessing to one another, especially when they are not treated kindly by their spouse. Our homes obviously aren't always a stellar example of peace and kind words, but man, it would be nice if it was. Uh, People don't always speak kindly about their bosses, but it was expected of Christian slaves even when their masters were harsh and unjust. You know, Peter said, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust or harsh. For this is a gracious thing or commendable when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 19. You know, today, because of human rights gone wild, uh, we feel entitled to punish people for the smallest infraction. But just because we can doesn't mean as Christians that we should. One more example. You know, I never paid much attention to all the passages in the Bible about neighbors and being neighborly until I moved to Washington. I currently have great neighbors, but that wasn't always the case when we first moved here or even a few years ago. When we had difficult neighbors, we did our best to be neighborly, kind and helpful, which paid off because we never had any conflict with them, although we certainly could have. But there wasn't peace between our difficult neighbors and our good neighbors. There was war until about six or eight months ago. And my children have never been exposed to more profanity uh, than they have uh, in my neighborhood, not even at Walmart. And the more profanity and cursing, the worse the problem got between my neighbors. But we never had any conflict. We spoke well of people and maintained peace, even when I didn't want to. And in the end, It really was best to be wronged. Paul said to the Corinthians, why not accept wrong done to you? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. You know, what an 
unbearable thought that it is for most Americans with all of their rights. But maybe, just maybe, all these rights are making us unbearable. If we're always focused on the wrongs done to us, we'll never make a difference for the gospel of peace. Our homes will always be a war zone. We'll feel sorry for ourselves at work, and our, neighbors will, our neighborhoods rather will be unfriendly. If the world is to change, much of the change will have to begin with us. You know, it's never too late to evaluate ourselves in light of the scriptures and to agree with them, and then by the grace of God, commit ourselves to them. Now, I, I can't say that I like everything expected of me in the scriptures, because I don't, like this particular passage. It doesn't seem just or reasonable from my perspective, but I know enough about myself that my perspective about such things is pretty insignificant. It's best to see people from God's perspective and approach them with his methods. So let me conclude with our verse. Let us always speak well of those who continue to persecute us. Let us always speak well of them and never ever curse them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the example of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul as well, who, who at least one time failed in this regard. And um, you've called us to excellence morally. But Lord, you've granted grace for error. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I know that for myself and for many others, Lord, we are too quick with our tongues in regard to other people. We say things as Christians that we ought not. And in our hearts, we really do call down curses on people. And we forget that they're created in the image of God. And uh, so, Lord, help us. Give us grace to speak as you would, to see people as you would, being created in your image. Lord, help us to be strong in our faith in regard to these things, to watch our tongue. And instead, Lord, help us to be a blessing to people. Help us to speak well of others, Lord, even those that persecute us and mistreat us and abuse us. So Lord, help us as a church family. Help us to stand out in our community as those that would eulogize, as it were, those around us. Lord, help us to be the ones that make a difference. And Lord, I pray also that you would just continue to abide with us as you are so faithful, Lord, especially during this time. And Lord, for those that are alone in their homes and have no company, Lord, I pray that their fellowship with you would be sweet and that it would be enduring. And so encourage their hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we love you guys and uh, we'll be praying for you the rest of the week and throughout this whole ordeal. And when we see you, I guess we'll see you and hopefully sooner than later. So love you. Lord bless you. Bye-bye.